Just say, yay, Caleb, or just, can you say, lake, yay, Caleb? <clears throat> I don't know. You know, I have never said anything. I don't know. Maybe somebody else ha did uh, while well, I wasn't here. But did you see these decoration boards that he and his dad built for this podium? Like, isn't that cool? So amazing. I, I, uh, I, had, I had to be sitting there during worship, actually this morning, coming in, seeing the decorations. And remember, for 27 years, any decorations we put up, we had to take down. 27 years. Like, we couldn't do this. We did trees. I remember every, after every service, taking down the trees and stacking them and putting them away. How many was part of that journey? Only a few of you, huh? Well, anyway... Yeah, something to be thankful for, for sure. Anyway, this morning during worship, I just felt like we're supposed to do something um, in regards to fear. I, I was thinking about my grandson. He's three miles. And uh, right now he is absolutely sure that there's bad animals outside his window. And, and going to get him at nighttime so he won't go to sleep or it's hard for him to go to sleep. And, and I was thinking about this song, even though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And I'm going... I declare it over you, Miles. Right now, I declare it over you. But I felt like the Lord wanted to release courage in the house right now. And courage as a witness. But some in this room are, being, are having nightmares. There's somebody here that's got challenged at night because you wake up in a nightmare. And I feel like the Lord wants to break that off. There's other, I just have this sleep mode thing going on. There's others who struggle with insomnia. The Lord wants to break that off of you. And so if you have a place where you want fear to go, fear is faith in the wrong kingdom, by the way. If there, you have a place where you want fear to leave your life, I want you to stand. If you have insomnia, I want you to stand. We're going to pray over you and break off things right now. If you wake up and you go, I can't go back to sleep and your mind's going like this and this is a regular occurrence, I believe the Lord wants to break that off of you. So somebody put a hand on somebody standing. Let's just agree right now. For heaven's courage to break off insomnia, fear has to go in Jesus' name. Fear has to leave in Jesus' name. Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. We declare and loose the gift of faith over everybody in the room. In Jesus' name, say, I'm secure in the Father's love. Make that declaration over your heart right now. I'm secure in the Father's love. I'm going to rest peacefully. I'm going to sleep peacefully. I just declare it over everybody in the room. Any place that fear has gripped you, I cancel its authority over you right now. The perfect love of the Father casts out all fear. I decree it right now in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to say something. Those that stand, say something. Just a gift of faith. I'll make this declaration. Say, I am free. I am free. I am free. Amen. All right. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for his goodness. Hey, Caleb, if we can get the, if, it, if you can't get it to work, I'd like to, because it's a lot easier for me. Uh, a couple funnies that I want to share with you. Uh, two Christians have lived very good and also very healthy lives. They die and go to heaven. As they're walking along, marveling at the paradise around them, one turns the other and says, wow. I never knew heaven was going to be as good as this. Yeah, says the other one. And just think, if we hadn't eaten all that oat brand and healthy food, we could have been here 10 years ago. I like this one. This is one of my favorites. The little girl was talking to her teacher about whales. The teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because it was a very large mammal. Even though it's a very large mammal, its throat was too small. The little girl uh, stated that Jonah was swallowed by the whale, irritated the teacher, reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human. It was not possible. The little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah. The teacher asked, well, what if Jonah is in hell? She says, well, then you ask him. That's, that, that one's one of my favorite. I'm not sure it's nice. 
but I like it a lot. One more. A man comes to the entrance of heaven and is told, you haven't done anything good, but you haven't done anything bad. If you can tell me something amazing you've done, I'll let you in. The man replies, well, one time I was driving down the road and I saw some gang members threaten a young lady in an alleyway. I stopped and confronted them. I looked at the biggest dude, slapped him and said, you need to leave this lady alone. The man at the entrance of heaven said, well, that's pretty amazing. When did that happen? About five minutes ago. Well, you might guess we're going to spend some time talking about heaven today. Um, Could you grab those two books for me, babe? I have a picture of Bill and Benny. Just send them right there. Thank you, babe. Um, Most of you know that uh, Benny passed away uh, late summer this year from cancer, a two-year bout of cancer. And uh, we had this rich moment. Brenda and I were in Reading about four weeks ago, I think it was. And we had this rich moment with Bill. It was a, a leadership gathering about this big, about 120, 140 people maybe not quite this big, uh, were gathered and Bill came in and he said, I don't think I'm supposed to preach a message. I just think, I think I'm just supposed to be available for you to ask questions and uh, for me to connect with you. And, and just his authenticity, his vulnerability, uh, it was such a deep, such a deep and rich moment. And, and he Many times as he's talking, he's talking about the loss of his best friend. And he said, you know, it's kind of interesting. He says, you're in this journey with your bride. He'd been married 49 years. And, and you walk to the edge of eternity together. And then she walks through the veil. And you're left on the other side. And he said, you know, there is a mourning. It's really healthy to mourn correctly. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. And, and then he, he said, you know, there's a morning that takes you to the comforter. And there's a morning that takes you to unbelief. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm not really going through a serious season of mourning right now. I have moments. And he had several moments in that talk where all of a sudden, you know, he just break down. Uh, he said, I have moments. But as a whole, I'm really in a place of celebration. He said, You know, when you think about it, this is what we were created for. What she is experiencing is what we're created for. Like, she's experiencing the glory of Jesus, being with Jesus. She's experiencing heaven with no sin or pain or sorrow or death. She's experiencing the saints and the vastness of those who have gone before us. He, He said, how could I have a pity party when she's getting that opportunity? And so he said, I've chosen to celebrate her experience now. And in this place, he said, I I have this opportunity that I won't have on the other side of the veil, something that Sean was going after. In this place of loss and pain, I have the privilege of bringing it before the Lord and giving him a sacrifice of praise. In this place of mystery, of not understanding, I can say, God, I trust you. I worship you. I love you. I'm thankful for the 49 years I got with my bride. And I trust you for my future. It was it's so rich. I so wish I could have had all of you there. Because the, what came out of him was revelation of faith, trust, and a vision for eternity. And that's really what we want to talk about this morning. One of the phrases that he said is, it's better to die in faith than to live in unbelief. He's a man, and that family, of course, contended for her healing to the moment she left. And he made that statement. I'd never do it again any other way. I have no regrets. Today, I'm going to be talking about the biblical worldview as we're on this series about having a biblical worldview, answering this question, where are we headed? Bill said, He said, this is my goal. This was her goal. This is why I can celebrate, is that we will hear the voice 
that says, like in Matthew, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord or your master. Most people, most people in this life have a 70 to an 80 year vision. Their goals are set up to end at 80 years or 90 years. And this was not the way that Jesus motivated his apostles, and this is not how the apostles lived. They lived with the other side in mind. They lived with eternity in mind. That this life is temporary. This is the temporal. And Jesus came, what? To give us eternal life. Somebody say eternal life. He came to open up the door forever for us to spend with him by dying on the cross, paying the price to separate that which separated us from God, being the sacrificial lamb so that we might have eternal life. Here's what I want us to get. One of the phrases I want you to grab a hold of. What you do with the cross determines where you spend eternity. But how you live your life now will determine your eternal experience. I'm going to say that again. What you do with the cross determines where you will spend eternity, but how you live your life now will determine how you experience eternity. Jesus motivated his disciples with many scriptures like Matthew 6. You do not sew up for yourselves treasures on earth, or do not, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do break in and steal, or cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He was trying to get his people, and he's trying to get us at Northgate, he's trying to get the followers of Jesus Christ to fix their vision beyond 80 years old in retirement, but into eternity. That the decisions we make daily are from an eternal perspective, not from a temporary perspective. Eternity becomes the grid by which we walk out this life on the earth. And one of the wonderful things about, about the Lord is he is a rewarder. How many know your father loves to give gifts to his kids? It says he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And he, he longs to reward us for laying down our lives for him. Look at Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you for my name's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Brenda gave me a documentary yesterday and I watched part of it. I didn't get to watch all of it. It's about an hour long of, of Roland and Heidi in Mozambique. I don't know if you're aware, but Mozambique is going through horrific, horrific turmoil. And Christians are, it's just, it's, it's beyond our imagination. Uh, Roland and Heidi are there ministering to Christians and to the church and these uh, militant Muslims come into the village and rape and decapitate children and adults, take them away, and Roland Heidi in the middle of it, just being there for the church. And uh, I'm thinking, wow, rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. We really don't understand that very well, do we? We have a different, like, Lifestyle in America. We've been blessed. But look at, look at another reward that he promised. Matthew 10, 42. Whoever in the name of a disciple, that means if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're following Jesus, you give to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. 6.35. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be what? Are you guys with me? Your reward will be what? Great. And you'll be sons of the Most High. Then you have the apostles, and they're 
motivating their followers in the same way. Look at Colossians 3. The Apostle Paul says, we're going to have quite a few scriptures today just because that's the way it came out for me. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The Apostle Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, this one always like uh, is aha for me. He says, Paul says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. What, what was momentary light affliction for the Apostle Paul? He was beaten three times with rods. Five times he got 39 lashes from the Jews. The 40th one they usually said would kill him. He was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned and left for dead. And that's just some of the things he... And he says, these momentary light afflictions are producing for me or us a eternal ward far beyond comparison. I want to stop there a minute. You know what? I feel afflicted when I have to wait 20 minutes for my lunch. When I go to a restaurant and I wait 20 minutes, I'm going, what's wrong with this place? Or every time a stoplight stops me, I feel afflicted. I just don't know. I, don't, I think I need to get saved again. Amen. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I like what this guy says. He says, anticipating heaven doesn't eliminate pain or suffering but meditating on heaven gives purpose for the pain. Eternity reminds us that suffering and death are temporary conditions. They are the gateway into eternity and unending joy. Charles Spurgeon says this, Christian, meditate much on heaven. It will help you to press on, to forget the toil of the way. The wail of tears is but the pathway to the better country. This world of woe is but the stepping stone to a world of bliss. After death, what comes? What wonder world will open upon our astonished sight? <clears throat> the apostles, of course, walked with Jesus. And they longed to be back with him. How many have watched some of the chosen? I got a chance, but I got a chance to go to uh, the opening of season three, the first two sessions of theater. And, and you, you, get, you get this, I mean, I love it because it opens a door to these everyday dudes, you know, young men, like experiencing the reality of God in the flesh on the earth. He's healing people. He's turning water into wine. They've cho been chosen by him to be his followers. He's their rabbi. You know, it's just this amazing experience. And, and they are longing, motivated to live this life in such a way that when they see him, they will say, he will say, well done. Well done, men. Well done, men. We, we sometimes forget that these are eyewitnesses in this word. That we're reading about eyewitnesses of Jesus. A lot of times, I just wish I could have been there. Well, you are there in the word. You are there. You get to experience what they experienced through the word of God. This, this having a biblical worldview means valuing what's in this book. The record of eyewitnesses telling us about what he's like. And this is what motivated these apostles. 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul, in the midst of all the affliction, he says, we are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we will all or must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what has they've done, whether good or bad. What he's talking about is not whether you go to heaven or hell. This judgment seat of Christ 
is something that everyone that believes in Jesus will stand before him. The Lord will measure your life. He'll measure what he gave you and what you did with what he gave you. Some people are given more than others. One of the taunting scriptures that I read says, he who has been given much, much is required. So we're measured not in competitive ways. We're measured by what we've been given and how we sow what we've been given. If we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. If we, if we sow bountifully, we will reap what? Bountifully. And, and the Lord is longing to, to give us the blessings of the Lord. He's a rewarder. He's looking. Every single mom in this room who's tired, tired, tired at night, but takes the time to sit down with their child and pray before they go to sleep because they want their child to know Jesus or read some scriptures. The Lord is recording all that, regardless if your kids follow the Lord. Every time one of you high schoolers obey your mom or dad, not because they said so, but because you want Jesus to be pleased with your life, that will be recorded in heaven and someday you will be rewarded for it. Every time you resist a temptation because you want Jesus to be pleased, it's recorded in heaven. Every time you take extra finances out to bless people, even when nobody else knows about it, the Lord knows about it. He is looking at every step, every decision you and I make to please him, and it's recorded in heaven. Love is the motivator. If it's not love, it has no value. I have to just be transparent with you. Every time I stand up here, I've gone through a, a session with the Lord before I stand up here. And it's, Lord, please do not let me do this because it's my job. Please, God, take any selfish ambition out of my heart. Lord, release your love that I would love everybody just with your love. That when I'm speaking of conviction, like I care about the destiny of the people in front of me right now. And those people are on staff, just those who are all on staff, it's a greater challenge for us sometimes because if we get paid for it and it's our job and we do it as our job, guess what? God can still use us, but it has no value in the kingdom for eternity. <clears throat> Every time you make a decision to stand up for Jesus at school or the workplace and you face ridicule, there's going to be a day when it's go, you're going to say, it was worth it. It was worth it. Every time you stand up for the unborn and, and people, whatever happens, there's going to be a day when you stand up before the Lord. And if it's out of love, the Lord will say, you will say, it was worth it. Somebody say, it was worth it. There are going to be so many sacrifices that you have made that someday the Lord will reward every faithful act and you will say it was worth it. C.S. Lewis said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians has largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. This last week I was, came upon a, a, um, a video. You guys can go ahead and get it ready back there a video of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Anybody know who she is? She's a Christian author and speaker. Um, she was in an accident. She's a quadriplegic. She was in an accident. A 17-year-old high schooler had her future in front of her. Um, she went to go swimming with her sister, jumped off the dock, didn't realize how shallow it was. Her head came down on the bottom of a rock, severed her spine, and she was paralyzed from the waist down, and her arms could still be used, but she has no use of her hands. And she talked in this interview about the journey. She, and I'm going to show a video of her. She's uh, 69 in this video. You'd think she looks 50. But in this video, it was done four years ago. She's lived 50 years as a quadriplegic. And she's in this conversation with Focus on the Family about, about the issue of physician-assisted suicide. That's what the context is, but that's not what this video is about. So if you can show it in the world, and I question. think it was those Christians who began to share with me perspectives from the Word of God, the fact that 
we don't own our bodies. God wants to honor him with our bodies, which he paid for with his own death. Mm. Um, God is against murder. He's against suicide, which stands to reason he would be against self-murder. Uh, God loves life. Death is the last enemy. And, and uh, we are to do all we can to sustain life. As long as we have a breath, there is a purpose, there's a meaning. Even if it's a small gesture of encouragement that you might offer to others. I'm thinking of a woman named Kim, real quickly. She uh, had a neuromuscular disease. She was despairing of her life. Uh, her elder at her church called me and asked if I would please call and talk to Kim because she was considering um, opting out of life and not going on a ventilator. Uh -huh. She was so depressed. And I got her on the phone, and after some long conversation about prayer and, and heaven and, and uh, courage and whatnot, I... I said to her, Kim, I'm going to give you a Bible verse that's going to change your life. It's from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And it says, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day. And I said, Kim, we all know the old adage that God looks at a thousand years as just a couple of days gone by. But have you ever thought of the other side of that verse? That he looks at our days as worth a thousand years? A thousand years worth of opportunity to invest in his kingdom? I said, Kim, when your mother comes to give you your meal tonight and syringes your, your meal into your G-tube because she was fed with a right. feeding tube, why don't, you, why don't you just say to your mom, let me say a blessing. Let me say a blessing over my food before you syringe that into me. Just do that, Kim. I know your focus is on yourself and your pain, but try reaching out because that small momentary act of courage has got to pan out to at least 579 years worth of eternal <laughs> benefit to your mother, bliss for yourself, and glory to God. Start living that way. Look beyond yourself, even though you're on your, quote, deathbed, and care about others. I mean, look at Jesus. He was on his cross, and he's and what's he doing? He's dying, but he's also ministering to this man crucified next to him, and he's counseling his mother about who she should live I with. And, I mean, he's doing all these things on his cross, his own deathbed. She began to take my advice. Um, when people would come over to uh, do a Bible study by her bedside, she, with great effort, because her breathing was labored, would say, let me share with you my favorite Bible verse. And of course, everybody is stunned silence listening to her, this courageous woman. And it was so encouraging. And her mother told me that Kim lived another, I think it was three months after our conversation, but she said, Johnny, those are the most meaningful months my daughter ever lived because she believed that what she did with her small gestures of encouragement and courage and, and um, boosting the spirits of others and bolstering um, others' perspectives on her suffering, she believed it panned out to at least 59,000 years worth of eternal benefit to her mm. and bliss for others and glory to God. Mm. And she put a value on it. That Bible verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 gave her and those were some of the most meaningful weeks she lived. Thank you, she said. And to be honest, um, Jim, Kim's not alone. It's the way I live every day. Mm. I have to push in the back of my thinking. I have to push back pain. I have to find something that's more interesting, that demands my focus, that's more engaging than my pain. And what is it? First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I don't want to diminish my eternal estate. I don't want to jeopardize it. I want to live life well. I want to live life well. I think that is dying with dignity because we're all yeah. dying each and every day. We mm. die to self each and every day, right? But we rise to Jesus and we're yeah. all preparing for that final exit. And I just want to make certain that my death will be a good death because I have lived well. Here's the question that I want to ask you as it comes to this life, eternity. Is God's word shaping the decisions of your life? Or is culture shaping the decisions of your life? You know, things changed in America in 1960 when they took the Bible out of schools. They took prayer out of the schools. They, take the, they took the word of God out of the public square. And most of our universities are led by humanistic secularists who don't have any grid for eternity. And so we have a whole generation or two generations of people who've lived without eternity as a perspective. And the result in our, in our 
cultures, there's no moral compass, no foundational values for successful relationships, family, society. So many people are trying to find contentment in this 70 or 80 years, and they're living in desperation and hopelessness, despair. And many have a huge, huge fear of death because they don't know what's on the other side, or maybe nothing's on the other side. Because culture is questioning the reality of eternity. Many in the church are beginning to question some of the truth that Jesus taught. Universalism is one of the thoughts that some churches have embraced, the idea that everybody gets to go to heaven. Nice thought, but not what Jesus taught. If everyone gets to go to heaven, then why did the father send his son to die on the cross a horrible sacrificial death? It would be a cruel thing for a dad to do. To go, son, go down there and die on the cross for the sins of mankind and, and those who believe in you will come to be with me and those who reject you will come to be with me too. Uh, a, a man by the name of Ernest Becker wrote a book called The Denial of Death. Don't put that up yet because I got to read something first. Ernest Becker is an un unbeliever, talks about how our fear of death drives a desperate need for self-worth, which is really an expression of man's tragic destiny. He doesn't have any hope, by the way. He must desperately justify himself as an object of primary value in the universe, show that he counts more than anything or anyone else. Go ahead and put the next one up. Then he goes on to say, we disguise our struggle by piling up figures in our bank book to reflect privately our sense of heroic worth or by having only a little better home or a bigger car or brighter children. But underneath throbs the same ache of cosmic specialness. No matter how we mask it, concerns of smaller scope, we enter a struggle for significance that we attempt to satisfy through earthly achievement. Our, our culture, our society, is longing for a reason to live beyond material blessings. They know the material blessings don't satisfy. They've tried them all. I, I appeal to this thought a few years ago when I did a, a funeral here uh, for Sheila Hall. She's a principal who died of cancer. She battled cancer and died and uh, a wife, a mother of two teenage boys when she died, a high, well-respected educator um, in the school district. I had the chance to represent Jesus at her funeral. She, by the way, at the end of her, uh, in, in, the, in her battle for cancer, she had friends that came up from college era of her life and led her to the Lord. So I had great reason to have joy and give everybody a reason to hope. But I, I made this comment, I, I said, if we're a product of chance and evolved from natural selection and the survival of the fittest, then why aren't we conditioned after centuries to be okay with someone dying of cancer? For a mom be taken away from her two boys, for a wife be taken away from her husband, and for an educator to be taken away from the school district. Why does that bother us? Why is there this cry in our hearts, this is not right? And the answer is found in Ecclesiastic 3. Because the Lord has placed eternity in our hearts. Bill Johnson says eternity is the cornerstone of all logic and reason. It's like, I don't know, how many likes to go to aquariums and see those beautiful ocean fish in the aquarium? You got this big glass box and you're looking, wow, this is amazing. And, and, and you think about their experience. Maybe they never were in the ocean, but they were created for something way more than a glass box. I don't know if in their instincts they're going, I want out. How many times do you go to the zoo and you see these animals and, and, and they're in this cage and you're going, man, I hope, man, I just, I hope they're okay. <laughs> They're not, and neither are we, apart from an eternity mindset. And Jesus refers to this in, in John 14 to his disciples. He's wanting to insert courage into their heart because he says, in this world you shall have tribulation, but what? Be of good cheer. Turn to your neighbor and say, cheer up. 
<laughs> For I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus says. He says, John 14, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are milling many dwelling places. If it were not true, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And since I come back, since I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I'll receive you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. And you know where I'm going. I love Thomas. Thomas speaks up for all of us. No, we don't. We don't know where you're going. You don't understand where you're going. What are you doing? And Jesus says this in verse 5. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Our culture defines love as being inclusive and tolerant. And yet the one who personified love, there's no greater love than one who lay down his life for others. The one who personified love makes this exclusive statement. No one comes to the Father but through me. As Christ followers, the question is, will you bow down to culture? Or will you bow down to the word of God? How we answer that question will determine not only how you will spend eternity, but probably even more important, how those around you where they will spend eternity. I really want to spend a whole lot more talking about heaven. I, I think sometime down the road, we just need to spend about three or four weeks talking about heaven. This is Randy Alcorn's book. You know, we, we have this like ethereal thought about heaven, like we're going to be on clouds playing harps. Or, and it's not, it's going to be this life, if there's anything in this life you enjoy that's sacred, or, or acceptable Lord, it's going to be in steroids in heaven. We are going to have resurrected physical bodies. We're going to live in a new heavens and a new earth. We're going to have new assignments, new responsibilities. We're going to have lots of new friends. I, I can't wait to be able to sit down with some of these apostles and disciples and, and talk to them. Do you know you're going to be able to sit with the apostle Paul or David or Abraham and Isaac and feel no intimidation? Think about that. I, I really want to talk about heaven, but I can't, I can't eliminate the conversation about hell because Jesus spent as much time talking about hell as he talked about heaven. In fact, he gave more details about hell than heaven. And I'm, I'm not going to touch on I'm just going to read some of the stuff real quick. Um, he referenced hell more than heaven. Jesus doesn't only reference, he describes it. He says it is a place of eternal torment, Luke 16, 23, of unquenchable fire, Mark 9, 43, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew 13, 40, and from which there is no return, even to warned loved ones, Luke, Luke 16, 19 through 21. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, Matthew 25, 30, comparing it to Gehenna, Matthew 10, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and was warning about the absolute reality of hell. <clears throat> and Jesus came because the Father says, I don't want people to be separated from me. I want all men to come to repentance. The pathway into heaven is not the pathway of acceptance, it's the pathway of repentance. I wish that none perish, is what Peter says. Jesus says, I'm gonna lay down my life. If you're gonna go to hell, you're gonna have to step over my dead body. Church, are you gonna be discipled by culture or the word of God? Hell is not something we like to think about. I don't like thinking about it. But yet it's supposed to motivate us. Because God desires that none perish. I don't believe that God casts people in hell. I believe people choose hell by rejecting Christ. 
In verse, we know of John 3, 16 through 17. Let's jump on to 3, 18. He who believes in me is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here's the thing we have to realize is, is that people are created, separated from God because they're in Adam's nature. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're, our, our default is going towards hell, not heaven. We got to get rescued. We got to get saved. That's why we're on the earth is try to uh, help others get saved and rescued. Verse 19 says, this is why people choose not to receive Christ. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. C.S. Lewis, who is an atheist that turned into a believer, wrestles with the idea of hell in his book, The Problem of Pain. And he concludes that God does not send anyone to hell. I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful at rebelling to the end. That the doors of heaven, hell are locked from the inside of people's hearts to enjoy forever the horrible freedom from God they have demanded. I like what this other man wrote. It makes, makes sense to me. Hell is giving angels and people who have free will the freedom from God's presence and God's rule if that's what they desire. What would God do with Hitler or anyone who really did not want to submit to God's rule? Would God force him? Take away his free will? Then he's no longer could be a lover. He'd be a slave, a prisoner in heaven, not a loving child. <clears throat> I, just, I just have to say, um, as one who, who lived on the other side of the cross, not believing for a lot of years, um, up to 21 years old, um, hell was not a stumbling block to me. That wasn't a stumbling block to me. What was this? I'm just be, can I be honest with you all? Can I be transparent with you all? I'm going to be 100% transparent with you all. If you don't like it, that's okay. I, Jesus likes me. My challenge was the church lived no differently. They lived with a temporal perspective. I didn't see. I didn't see Christ in followers of Christ, those who said they were followers of Christ. My challenge was not hell. There's something inside of us that knows that we deserve condemnation. Everybody has that going on. What they don't think they deserve is love. And I went to school with with high schoolers that were in very evangelical, strong Bible-believing churches, but I never heard about the gospel. I never heard the good news. Maybe they were afraid I'd reject them. I don't know. I don't know what their fear was. It wasn't until my bride said she wouldn't go out with me because I wasn't a Christian. She had a conviction in the word of God that stirred me and caused me to go, Here's a believer that really believes what the Bible says. And it convicted me to say, I need to find out about this Jesus. And then I became born again as I pursued the truth about Jesus. I want to finish just with a story, a true story of somebody that we met, many in this room met. Um, her name is Shema Habib. I don't know how many remember she spoke um, in the summer, about, probably about four or five years ago. You don't put that up yet, William, okay? Let me give the background. Thank you. I sure appreciate you, William, back there. You're doing a great job. Um, she, she was a Muslim, grew up as a Muslim, and as a teenager, some Christians loved her, told her about Jesus, and through their discipleship, she gave her heart to the Lord and had a, a serious encounter with the Lord and, and uh, began living for the Lord, being discipled in the church there, in Middle East country, she never would tell us where it was. Um, militant Muslim came and bombed the church that she was in. 
And uh, when they bombed the church, her head, severe head trauma, got blown open, basically. She died. And uh, when she died, she had that experience. In fact, I, I have so many stories I want to tell you. And, and imagine heaven. This is, this is a, a book, a recording. They've studied out um, near-death experiences where people have died. They've flatlined on the emergency table. They've experienced the other side. Some have gone down. Some have gone up. And, uh, and just and not, you can't rely on everything, but you measure it with the scriptures, and you find out, wow. Wow, there's a whole lot of doctors out there that know about this. And one of Dr. Rawlings, he, he became a Christian after he was doing surgery on this guy. He was trying to place his pacemaker in his heart and they were struggling. And, and the guy, they'd just get all connected. And the guy would wake up and he'd go, help me, help me. And the, and the doctor would look at I'm in hell, I need out, I need to be alive. And, the, and then the, it would disconnect. And, and he'd be out, gone, unconscious. And then pretty soon, all of a sudden, he wakes up. They made the connection. And he's saying it again. He's screaming in horror of what he's experiencing in hell. And uh, hell is not a friendly place, by the way. If you think otherwise, you've met, it's not biblical. Anyway, it turns out they revived this guy. And the doctor was so shocked that he went and started seeking for truth. And became a born-again believer. And then he started interviewing people who had died on, on the hospital bed. He was doing surgery and then came back to life. They resuscitated him. And the experiences that people had when their spirit left their body. What happens is you don't lose consciousness when you die. You see your body laying there and your spirit ascends. And you see the circumstances. The doctors talk about how... People who've died and their spirit leaves their body, they look back down and they can tell you everything that happened in the hospital room when they were supposedly dead. Tell you what doctors came in, what they were wearing, what procedures they went through. And so the spirit realm, the unseen realm is real. And so our spirits leave our bodies and, and Shema, spirit left her body. She looked down at it. She saw her head was bleeding profusely, and she went into this tunnel. Most of the people who experience heaven end up in this tunnel. She says, I'm escorted by two angels, and I'm going up, and it's like I'm seeing this light, this bright light, and it's so brilliant and brilliant, and I'm getting closer and closer, and I start to see behind it, and I'm seeing the colors. Most people who have these experiences, it's like all their senses are put on steroids. Like all of a sudden, they can see so many colors they've never seen before. They have so many experiences of, of the reality of the next life. They can't even explain it. We're so limited comparatively. And so Shema says she gets before the Lord. And, and he's brilliant in his glory. And, uh, and she says, I, I bowed my knees. I did not know what to expect. Um, and this is what he said to her. He remained an amazing love. He radiated an amazing love that contained deep acceptance I felt neither condemnation nor shame. At first, I hardly dared to look at Jesus. But after time, I felt my body being lifted up. And then I was standing before him. As he smiled at me, relief poured over my soul. Welcome home, Shema. He said in a voice sweet and gentle, yet also powerful, like the sound of many waters. He opened his arms to me. His beautiful eyes were like blazing fires of consuming love that overwhelmed me. When Shema was here at our church speaking, um, she said then the Lord gave her the opportunity to come back or to stay with him. And she said, I wanted to stay so bad. But I started thinking about my dad and my brothers and so many others that I knew that I could be a witness to. I knew I needed to come back to be a witness. And she's come, she came back as of the last time we talked to her. I think three of her four brothers had come to know the Lord and her dad had come to know the Lord. And many others had come to know the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? There's one main question 
that I want to ask. When we started out with the question, where are we headed? I'd like to ask you, where are you headed? This is a moment where you've heard the witness and the testimony of the word of God, of my life, of Shema's life. It's your opportune time. This is the day of salvation. This is the day for you said, I want to go to be with the Lord. I want to live my life to glorify him and please him. Today I make a decision to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior and to live my life unto eternal worth. And, and if that's you today, I'm going to give you a chance to respond in just a minute. As I was preparing for this message, I have to be really honest with you. I had to examine my own life. I told Brenda, I, I really feel like I'm wasting a lot of time doing stuff that is not necessarily impacting eternity. I, I don't... There's a lot of things that distract us in this life. There's a lot of social media. I, I could go on and on and on. You, you examine your own life. I listen to Heidi Baker and Rawl and I go, Jesus, I don't even think I'm saved after listening to them. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your conviction. I thank you that you have convicted me. I pray the loose of the Holy Spirit's conviction in our hearts. There would be a new, fresh desire to live for eternal worth, not temporal that we would invest in heaven, that treasure would, heaven would become our treasure and Jesus Christ would become our first love as we sing, that we're longing to see you face to face and we're longing to be able to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I just come into agreement, Father, for a fresh zeal of the Lord over this church, over Northgate, to be witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be your witnesses, to be full of love, and live in a life that's different than the world. I ask for that grace over us. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you, you know you're not sure where you're headed right now, and today you don't want to leave without being sure, I, I want you to come and talk to me. I would like to pray with you. Uh, I'd like to help you know that you can be sure. Um, that Jesus is going to accept you and receive you as a son, as a daughter of God. Um, other, I would like the elders to be available up here too. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Somebody say joy, joy. in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, bless one another. Otherwise, come forward for prayer if you want prayer. Love to connect with you.